Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening. This is a lived experience that I'm sharing with you, and I think this journey is much better shared. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Welcome to episode two of the No Feeding Tubes show. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking about PEG, PEG tubes, feeding tubes. I'm Yvonne McLaren. I'm your host for this session, episode two. And for those that are not clear, a PEG, I had a feeding tube, a PEG. PEG stand for, wait for it, percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy, P-E-G. And for many weeks and months, I just practiced saying that to practice my speech, to be honest. (laughs) And there are three things that I'm going to be talking about with pegs today. And some of you might have different versions of this peg. This is the one that they insert into your abdomen and you essentially syringe a commercial formula or food into that syringe into your peg which goes straight into your stomach therefore bypassing your mouth because you've like me probably unable to consume anything orally. The three things that I'm going to talk about today are why, what are they for, why and how is that decision made that you get a peg, uh, what you can put in your peg and Uh, The third thing is, um, do they hurt? (laughs) So let's tackle the first thing, what are they for and why they are there. As far as I know, and this is just in my brief research on uh, pig feeding, there's two trains of thought on it. One is reactive and the other is proactive. And in my case, I think it was more of a case of proactive. Let's put it in uh, early and see whether or not you need it and for how long you might need it. Other people uh, don't ever have it put in and they get it put in much later on their healing journey. So I was one of those patients that had it in as a proactive measure and I suspect that my healthcare place and surgeon uh, does that as a uh, natural course of action as opposed to waiting until it's either too late or you've lost so much weight or whatever your particular circumstances might be. So I went in and had this peg put in and um, did it hurt? Yeah, yeah, it hurt. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. And it it was more about the trying to learn to sleep with what I felt was like an added appendage rolling over in bed, uh, getting it caught on something and then walking away and having it pulled or tugged. or And I had a really long piece of rubber hose on mine. I saw other people's and I went, oh, yours is really short, but mine was really long. Uh, and my sister very helpfully told me to tuck it up in my bra to keep it out of the way, which was a really good piece of advice. Um, 
I had mine for 15 months and, you know, I really struggled with it. I struggled with the fact that it it stopped the spontaneity of eating. Uh, it stopped being able to just go and do something because you're kind of, oh, you know, I have to have my food with me. I have to have the syringes with me. I have to have the mop-up towels with me. I have to have the water flushes. I have to have the syringes. I have, you know, it wasn't just a matter of, Let's go and have a picnic. Let's go here and do this for the afternoon. Let's go because you couldn't, really. You became housebound. Well, I certainly did. I became kitchen-bound and I had my buffet table, as I like to call it, set up on my kitchen bench where I had everything ready to go for my feeds. And if you can see me, I'm doing, um, you know, the inverted commas, because the medication had to go through the feeding tube as well. Um, obviously, I couldn't swallow tablets or anything. Uh, from a pain point of view and from a physical point of view, I literally just couldn't get it past the radiation, um, what I now know was scarring. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's very housebound kind of situation where you, you need to be home to feed. You need to... Uh, be sitting upright and you had to do it slowly. I certainly had to do it slowly. If I did it too quickly, uh, I'd feel nauseous. I'd be, you know, physically sick. So the peg, yes, it hurt. Um, didn't hurt day to day, just general. You know, after a couple of weeks, it settled down uh, eventually. Um, I exercised an awful lot with my peg in, which probably was one of the reasons why uh, I ended up uh, in emergency getting it put back in again because it fell out a couple of times and on the third time it fell out I actually just opted not to have it put back in again. So the sorts of things I did to try and manage that hurt process in the early days was I kept it close to my body, I didn't let it hang too much, I kept it scrupulously clean and I actually opted for a free service that my local hospital provided, which was having a registered nurse turn up to have a look at the gauze, the cleaning of it, the the whole, the stoma, um, just making sure that it was always cleaned, moving it so it didn't start to grow over, all those wonderful things which I'm remembering now as I'm talking about it. I was meticulous about keeping mine clean and it's like when you first get your ears pierced, for those that have their ears pierced, you've got to turn the sleeper to ensure that the hole doesn't close over. Um, exercising with it was tricky. Uh, I was told not to swim with it. It turns out I probably could have, but I did just, I chose personally not to swim with my feeding tube. Uh, I also didn't ride my bike with it, but I did run with it. Um, probably wasn't a great idea, but walking would have been better. I couldn't kickbox, I couldn't do my yoga, so I found it quite inhibiting in that respect. But at the end of the day, it was keeping me alive, so I came to terms with it. I came to um, a peace situation with it. I didn't fight it. I used it for what its intention was and that was to keep me alive, uh, to keep me on that commercial formula which probably like everybody else I learnt to hate. I hate the smell of it, I hated it, I hated um, 
pretty much everything about it and I had to fight that from a mental perspective for a very, very long time. And eventually um, I thought, well, I need to get off this peg tube. So that was a big transition process for me and given that I hadn't eaten orally for a long time, uh, I had to work out how to do that transition process. What can you put down those tubes? Well, hindsight, uh, you can put food in them and no one ever encouraged me to do that. No one ever said to me, hey, why don't you try putting a smoothie in there using real food as opposed to the formulas. And I talk a little bit about that in my book, Easy Follow, Easy Swallow, about my journey and my research into what was actually in those commercial formulas and when I actually found out what was in those formulas I knew I had to get off it. Um, look, I, I, I understand that it kept me alive but I also know from experience that I felt a thousand times better once I got back to fresh food and no one was encouraging me to do that really. That was something that was left up to me to make some decisions about uh, and to work out how the hell you transition off putting a syringe in your stomach every day back to oral eating when you hadn't swallowed or chewed or had any kind of taste sensation in your mouth at all, really. Uh, the only thing that was going in my mouth was my toothbrush um, and some dental care. So I had to work that out. I personally didn't put anything other than the commercial formula water and my medication in my peg. Um, your situation might be different. You might have to be on your peg for life. So I would encourage you to look at fresh food and see what sort of tube feeding is available to you down that fresh food road. Uh, there are a couple of people that are really focusing on that at the moment and uh, I will put their details in the show notes with this podcast but for me, in the end, my tube, my feeder fell out of my stomach and I ended up in the back of an ambulance on the way to hospital. And I thought, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a bit apprehensive about this, but I'm going to suggest they don't put it back in. And from there, uh, I, you know, I started eating orally again, but that, but that took me a long time to get there. You know, that was 15 months of me using my peg tube my percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy it's a procedure in which a flexible feeding tube is placed through the abdominal wall and into the stomach I'm just reading off the back of my book um, because I had to write it down I had to work out what it was I had to try and find some sense and some strategy to get me off it back to oral eating uh, so you know, that's peg feeding tubes and it really is the whole purpose of how I started this journey about no feeding tubes movement and trying to encourage dietitians and, and speech language pathologists to look at some alternates to that commercial food. Um, I'm going to be talking about a whole range of things that happened to me around lymphedema and uh, recognising that and all the things that I had to do to ensure that I maintained my swallow whilst I wasn't 
using my swallow, my esophagus or my mouth or my tongue, uh, the strategies that I kept in place to make sure that I could move my neck, my shoulders and my head, uh, my, my bite, my trismus, those sorts of things. And I'll cover them in future episodes, but um, today's episode is about pig feeding tubes and my small journey with it. And I, I think that uh, there needs to be a greater awareness around these pig tubes and why they're put in and why there really shouldn't be a stigma about them because particularly, like in my case, it kept me alive and I don't think it means you're a failure. And I've read on some social media that people think it's a failure to have a pig tube. You know, it's not a failure. It is purely a means to an end to get you where you need to be. And I hope through the No Feeding Tubes movement and these podcast episodes that I start to fill in some of the gaps that you perhaps haven't considered, that as a professional you hadn't considered from a patient's point of view, or you as a patient haven't considered. Um, And I think we need to crack open uh, the stigma around these feeding tubes because they are there for good, they're not there for bad, Uh, they're not there to rate you as how you are as a head and neck cancer treatment patient, they're there to keep you alive and I think we need to look at some of the food opportunities around those pig feed tubes uh, and what we can do for people to make that process better for them, not so scary and give people some options about what they can feed themselves. You know, we're not all going to aspirate if we go to oral eating. We're not all going to want to live on commercial food. Um, And we need to talk about the benefits of fresh food um, versus commercial food and being on that long term. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, That's just been about my experience with pigs. And uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on it because I know we all have a love-hate relationship with pigs, but in my case, I hated it. (laughs) But I recognise that it kept me alive. So um, I look forward to talking to you in my next episode and uh, hearing some of your feedback. Until then, I'm signing off. This is Yvonne McLaren and the No Feeding Tubes show. Catch you on the next episode.